Welcome back to Netflix and Kill, the podcast dedicated to reviewing and documenting the horror films of Netflix. It has been a whole two years since this podcast started. Actually longer if you think about it, because we recorded the first episode like a year before we released it, but no one has to know. (laughs) Uh, So this is what we did last year, and I guess I'll just do this again because it's kind of fun. Last year we did like a catch-up thing, a where are they now? So, um, let's go around and just briefly reintroduce ourselves. I'm Kai. I'm- I'm Marty. (laughs) Sorry. Do you want to do that again? No, it's fine. I was gonna like say what my life is now, but like, I feel like all of our lives are the same because COVID's kind of like- taken over yeah uh yeah what what are any of our lives now i mean like i've as of the time this is released i will have moved to colorado and i think that is the biggest life change that i've had otherwise i'm just watching horror movies still want to make them someday but you know that's kind of hard right now yeah (laughs) um I'm at home. I live with my parents, and I am hugely questioning my choice of major in school, and I don't know if I'm going to be doing it for the rest of my life now. I'm actually thinking about it, and I might, this is going to be a surprise to y'all, I might go back to school to do uh, mortuary work. That somehow doesn't surprise me at all, and that's kind of badass. (laughs) That is the that least is surprising non-art career I can ever picture you doing. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess. But I mean, I feel like it kind of goes with art because a lot of it just kind of has to go with. I want to learn more about death rituals and interpolate them into stuff that I do, I guess. And I feel like caretaking of dead people is kind of an art because not a lot of people do it and it's very tedious and you know I feel like it would be kind of fun (laughs) just gotta see how my temperament is around the dead having shared an education with you I can say you definitely have the tools to discover slash make an argument for why your new mortuary work would be art I guess yeah Uh, so Hannah how is your life I mean, I'm still in school because <laughs> I have like a bingo sheet of majors. I just want them all. Um, <laughs> gotta catch them all. I am mood. Gotta catch them all. I'm the college master. I'm gonna have all the debt. Maybe that can be the new political strategy. I just take everyone else's debt as my own, and then I have twenty four k if you want it. <laughs> sure, give it to me. Give it to me. Um, I'm like a greedy dragon of college debt. Anyway, uh, I'm a Majoring in music and film, and I refuse to leave this school without both of those degrees because a teacher told me I couldn't do it, and I live for spite. Good. So that's where I'm at. Hell yeah. So Tyler, what are you up to? Oh, making me go before Richard. All right. Um, Well, since Richard's being quiet here, um, my name is Tyler. I was on the previous Hellraiser review due to my proximity to Kyla, Marty, and uh, the Hellraiser gift. I still reside and live in Los Angeles, California. 
I no longer work in the camera department. I now have gone back to working in wardrobe department and uh, on films specifically. I am currently in Oklahoma yet again, uh, out here working on a uh, union film that recently um, had a, a widespread infection of coronavirus due to poor management uh i'm gonna leave it at that so that i'm not pointing fingers at folks um um so so that would be my sort of career wrap up where i'm at um in terms of life i am still riding the high seas of um navigating myself and mental illness and um uh, sick family members and quarantining yet again due to my occupation this is the second time this year I've been put into a quarantine, though I did not test positive uh, in either of these Yay. cases um, on my job because that is, thank you, thank you, Marty, uh, because that is, I guess, where the world and also the film industry is at. You, hell yeah. I think that that closes me up. Oh, I cut my hair. Not that anyone could see it uh, <gasps> on this podcast, but just know that it was a, it was a very Thor Ragnarok sort of change. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, in the entire time I've known you, you've never cut your hair. So it was, it was a dramatic change. Yep. Yeah, we definitely, we definitely went from uh, serious Thor to slapstick men in black Thor. And I hope my personality <laughs> reflects that as well. Yeah. I feel like it does. Good. So Aaron closes out. Hi, I'm Aaron. My words are backed with nuclear weapons, and uh, in the several months since we uh, got together to talk about the car, I am now wanted in every nation that fully acknowledges the Geneva Convention. So oh, that's no. what I've been up to. Wait, what? <laughs> He's lying there. He's already been wanted. <laughs> is there something you didn't tell us? I mean, Tyler is lying. It would take a very limited imagination to only commit the war crimes that are acknowledged as such under the Geneva Convention. But that is a decently acceptable uh, sort of sort of barrier to entry for the normies. I didn't know you were the U.S. It's government. His, it's his it's his shorthand. If you keep him going, it's gonna last all day. Yeah. You're a Cenobite. <laughs> so occasionally, we wish he was. <laughs> we gather today to talk about Hellraiser three, which um, this is the first one that like not, none of us here had seen. If I recall correctly. Yeah. Yeah, you're correct as to my recollection. Um, so I'm just going to read the IMDb description because I don't otherwise know how to summarize this movie. And then let's just go right into what we thought about it. So on IMDb, it says an investigative reporter must send the newly unbound Pinhead and his legions back to hell. And the subtitle for this movie is Hell on Earth. So they are no longer in the pain dimension. They are on Earth now, wreaking havoc. See, the first thing I don't like about this synopsis is it has no mention of Vietnam. That's true. There are <laughs> a lot of non flashbacks. Would, uh, come up. There yeah. are a lot of non flashbacks. There was at least three, and then uh, Vietnam was also the setting for what I would say was arguably the climax of the film. <laughs> Whoever wants to start, whoever wants to start, what did you think? I, I would like to come out first, uh, not not a full sort of analysis thing, just some observations, if I may. Okay. 
observations were this one. Uh, I have only seen three Hellraisers, and I have done a uh, marvelous job of seeing the first one, the second one, and now the third one. Um, and this one felt like a uh, uh, a, a, a soft reboot. Uh, we we gone away our uh, Kirsty and the other and Julia. Oh, we love Julia and the other members of the previous two films, except for in a small uh, investi- investi- uh, investigation portion of the yeah. film. Mm-hmm. Uh, first and foremost, this is, uh, and we'll argue it, I'm sure, this is a queer yes. film. Yeah. Uh, I don't care what anyone says. Uh, I was locked into this film more than the previous two Hellraisers due to a combination of, um, as Aaron could point out for me, when I am in love, I uh, am completely... Uh, attached to any sort of love story I, I see in a, in, in a uh, work of fiction. So between that and the unexpected pseudo love story that came out of there, uh, I was instantly hooked into this mm-hmm. one. And it almost felt as though the movie was trying to fight against the time it was released. <laughs> a uh, For you Nickelodeon fans, a Legend of Korra, if you will, yeah. where they wanted to go further than they were actually allowed to. Um and and yes, I echo the Vietnam flashbacks and think we should touch on that uh, more as we go on. But that 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 would be my first comments likes that I wanted to mm-hmm. share. Yeah. So the main character of this one, her name is Joey, which is short for Joanne. Um, and she's like a news reporter, and she runs into this girl Terry at a hospital because. She's accompanying someone who has been attacked with chains um, in the hospital uh, emergency room. And she, like, comes up to Terry and starts asking her these questions like, what happened to this guy? And Terry's, like, freaking out because she doesn't really know how to explain it. And then later on, she goes to this club that Terry frequents with a guy named jp i think i think should we just call him <laughs> yeah, he's, yeah. He's, he's, uh, danny fucking zuko yeah, looking ass danny zuko um <laughs> and so they she goes there and is like asking for terry and all this other stuff and she leaves uh like her business cards around hoping that terry will call her and yeah and i must specify when she's looking for terry she she specifically says have you seen a really pretty girl with like brown hair she's like super pretty like she keeps repeating this over and over again she's really pretty have you seen her i'm like okay Mm -hmm. i get what you're after later on jp or Zuko, rather, uh, is it Zuko or is it Pinhead himself? No, it's it's, it's Zuko, Zuko, who twice in the span of two scenes back to back, when speaking to Terry in a very abusive manner towards the, I'd say the end of Act Two, yeah. uh, he he refers to Joey as her girlfriend. Yeah, and she doesn't deny it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's well, there's even the part where she she's doesn't like, deny it. She's crying, and he, she's like, "Do you think I let her down? Do you think it, it's very much the." The crying of I hurt someone I love, not the crying of oh, I'm so I she betrayed me as a friend, wink. Yeah. yeah. Um yeah, and then like they briefly when they find each other again, they're like move in together. Because um, Terry yeah. doesn't have anywhere to live, but like but yeah, they're like they're committed and it's really cute and I love it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
it felt like a very film school drama uh uh, or, uh sort of i i don't even i don't have the full adequate description for the initial scene that goes on for probably five or six minutes of terry and joey getting to know each other when she first arrives at joey's apartment mm-hmm. Uh, uh, in the high rise in New York where they discuss everything from like uh, family trauma to uh, uh, residence history to uh, sort of pedantic likes and dislikes. And Terry burns I, the I almost wanted, yeah, she, she stays the night and then, uh, and then they act very domestic the next morning looking at, there's that um, shot where Terry opens the blinds and looks out at the uh, New York skyline as they're in an, a, a, a high rise and says, isn't that a great view? And then we cut directly to Joey looking at uh, Terry mm-hmm. um, before they continue the conversation. It's 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 so loaded for this love story. Yeah. Uh, I'm so sad that they were limited by the small nine, uh, the small minds of the recently uh, Bill Clinton era America. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um. I'll continue with my earlier question, I guess. Marty, outside of the wonderful love story, what what did you think about this movie? Me? Um, I liked it up until about the third act, and then I was very confused. (laughs) Right. I I echo that. Yeah. So, like, there's, like, these weird little flashbacks that joey keeps having throughout the movie and they're like little nightmares she's having and then as time progresses oh i need to talk about the pillar so (laughs) so jp has the a pillar in his club slash home i guess and the uh the cube has come off of it and uh terry has that um and brings it to Joey's house but JP has a an obelix pillar basically with pinhead inside and he keeps feeding his girlfriends to pinhead for whatever reason and so there's that and then the other half of that is that Joey keeps having nightmares and then it turns out that they're about pinhead but as human so it's like pinhead's evil and good self are like split because of the last movie or something yeah his human self and his demon self are like have split into two separate entities due to not fully explained voodoo magic that he was pursuing after his experience in whatever war he fought Vietnam? in, World War I, World War II? Question mark? Vietnam? <laughs> he's he's British and wearing an officer's uniform. Aaron, do you have any historical I think knowledge? Elliot Spencer is supposed to be a World War One vet. Uh, mm. It's just like all the visual cliches of World War One in movies. Uh, when he talks to Joey in the dream, he's literally talking to her above a trench. She's obviously being employed in most wars after World War One, but that's kind of the world war one in movies image like the end of yeah. black adder goes forth and all that and the fact that he is a british officer rather than putting him as a uh i guess if world war Two, it would be safe to presume he would have been german or american just being a british just being a british soldier of some consequence l- limits him to either of the two world wars 
Anyways, Joey keeps having nightmares about him, and he keeps showing up in her TV. (laughs) Yes, he does. Various TVs. Her actual TV, and then also the TVs at the news station. Yep. Which uh, she frequents as she goes on her investigation. NBC picked up his pilot. Um, And then, so, she... So, Terry ends up being lured back by JP after... Um, some shenanigans of, uh, uh, abuse, <laughs> emotional abuse, uh, because JP is a piece of shit, um, and I hate him. <laughs> and he, like, keeps trying, there's a scene where he keeps trying to feed her a pinhead, and he's like, no, you have to get up and come towards me, because, like, apparently pinhead's chains can't extend within, like, two feet i guess he gets really really upset when he's unable to get them yeah yeah and so like she knocks him out because he's like basically trying to like drag her towards pinhead at one point he's like had enough of her like not listening to him and so she knocks him out and pinhead starts talking to her and he's like there's a key to freedom and it's you have to feed me, JP. And she's like, uh, if it'll get him to stop doing shitty things, then okay, you can eat him. <laughs> and so she, like, throws him at Pinhead and he, like, consumes the body. And then, like, the obelisk breaks and then Pinhead's out and he's, like, fully formed. And he's like, oh no. And then. Yeah, now it's just the, like a war the between the two pinheads. Yeah, essentially yep, he so. just goes around like turning everyone else into Cenobites, but mm-hmm. it's really silly. Not, so like it's not so only silly. Disease. Yeah. Compact discs. The, the movie does take a very silly turn. I mean, like they it's very 90s, I guess. I mean, like not the fact that this happens, but just like the like one of the, he kills people the with way it's CDs filmed. and like yeah. one of the Cenobites. There's a baby Cenobite. He basically <laughs> just like merges people with whatever they are associated with. Their gimmick is yeah. yeah. So like yeah. the news anchor cameraman guy gets like merged with his camera, and all he can do is give stupid one-liners about like get ready for <laughs> yeah. your close-up. That's a wrap. That's a wrap. It's very, <laughs> it's like, it's yeah, very yeah. much the Nightmare on Elm Street sequels the i think every franchise went in like third or fourth installment around this time like halloween had bust the rhymes <laughs> yeah freddy oh. yeah. was like welcome yeah. to primetime bitch and hellraiser had this yeah what's odd about this one is that like it it there's an uncommon amount of self-awareness regarding the fact and even from reports from people who worked on the movie at the time that they knew exactly what they were doing and why they probably shouldn't do that to Hellraiser, like turn it into a creature feature type thing. Like, like one of the lines of dialogue that everyone points to is when Pinhead has created the new Cenobites and he calls them a shadow of his former troops, which his cadence is completely different in this movie too as well. He's like more Joker-esque rather than however he talked in the earlier films. Mm-hmm. He does seem to be much more delightful rather than maniacal. Right, right, right. Yeah. And, that, and that whole, that massive transition from, you know, from something with its own ethos, with its own uh, 
with even at its campiest, it's like pretty impossible to duplicate style. And by the time of the third movie, uh, there's still some of that. I think some of the some of the stuff before the the climax, I think, still has a lot of that going on. But by the end, it's essentially like gremlins with Hellraiser characters and a <laughs> yeah. lot more gore. Mm-hmm. And I can't so- say I. I can't say I disliked it, but I know, knowing from the reputation that later Hellraiser movies have, that that turns out to be a really bad idea in hindsight. Yeah. So, like, on top of there being a Cenobite who has a camera for an eyeball, there's also a bartender Cenobite who uh, throws alcohol on people and then, like, can breathe fire and then there's a DJ Cenobite who has CDs in his head and he throws CDs at people. <laughs> and then It's like Cats where Jay- it's just roll call, I'm a Cenobite and this is the one thing I do. Yeah, basically. Yep. I feel bad for Critis. Cri- we watched um, Dragula the other day, the episode where they did like the Hellraiser challenge. Mm-hmm. And now I feel bad for yeah. critiquing the drag queen so much and being like, well, that doesn't look like it could belong in the movie because now I'm like, well... All of them seemed more Hellraiser-esque than, like, the Cenobites in this movie. Yeah. So, uh, so we didn't, well, we didn't get to Hannah and Aaron, so what, what did y'all think? Uh, Aaron, you want to go first? Okay, that's alright. Um, I think generally, like, it, I would, I would generally call the movie a net positive i think overall it has a lot of stuff i really really liked uh the first encounter with pinhead in the pillar when he convinces jp to uh to feed the woman to to him is as different as it is tonally from all the from the other from the previous two hellraisers still really really good and in fact like years ago um i read like an article for i mockery that uh that described that as like one of the definitive like horror moments of the nineties. And I haven't seen that much, you know, I'm not especially well versed in that decade where horror is concerned. I imagine I will be more so as we do more of these, but, uh, I mean, it is definitely a really stark and cool moment with a lot of really tense build up. And this version of pinhead as silly as he is, is definitely fun. At least now I'm sure I'll regret saying that later. Um, <laughs> It's very clearly, as of now, the least well-made of the Hellraisers in this uh, trilogy. It's, uh, there are a lot of, like, for all of the cool decisions and all of the uh, moments when they clearly still knew, you know, sort of the ethos of Hellraiser and were either, you know, really living up to it or consciously disregarding parts of it to make the movie their own, there are just really baffling decisions. Um... That definitely make the movie, uh, sort of, you know, peanut galleryable. Um, but that said, uh, it has a lot of, uh, it, it still has, it still has a, uh, a core that, uh, it speaks to at least the idea that, um, that this was still the product of people who wanted to do something really, really creative and, uh, generally, you know, on the whole, I think it pays off. Yeah. Alright, Hannah. Um, for me, I am bi- I am fighting a battle much like Pinhead and normal Pinhead. Um, 
uh, part of me wants to, like, dive into the conversations with Hellraiser and the main characters and, like, go into the symbolism regarding, like, the BDSM style and sex and horror and all that jazz. Um, but the other part of me is just, like, it feels like it just got off a roller coaster. And I'm like, I just want to sit down and not do anything for a while. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, where I... Because I don't like dismissing movies as saying, oh, it's just a movie. Let's not think about it too hard. But part of me with this movie is also just, there's just so much and I'm so tired. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that the movie is clearly fighting that battle too. Um, So I think that's definitely like an understandable response. I would uh, I would definitely agree with that, uh, both echoing Hannah and Kyla there, and I think that's where the third act really got muddy, where it was trying to do, or it felt as though it was trying to do something commercial with the large-scale, like, city block-wide horror and gimmicky one-liners, <laughs> multiple location yeah. flashbacks that weren't present in the first hour and some change of the film, or either of the two Hellraisers. Somehow, even though the previous one that we watched takes place in hell in a crazy 80s labyrinth, uh, minus David Bowie, um, <laughs> there, it, it didn't, it still felt fairly small. It felt fairly contained, but this one is really reaching. Yeah. Um, and the parts of the film that I would rather stick to are from the first uh, two thirds. And you can call me out on the love story all you want. Very here for it. Yeah. Um, and in general, just the characterization I thought was a lot stronger in this. There wasn't as, um, and it real that really interests me much more than, uh, in the prior two films. I think on the last time I was on here, I was talking about Kirsty and her self-actualization and her, um, sort of coming of age, um, self-discovery, uh, uh, themes. But in this one, our protagonist, uh, there, I, I don't think there's much of that going on. She's pretty self-actualized already yeah. from from get-go, though they do not make it subtle. Because as I said when we were uh, watching it to Marty, Pinhead doesn't do subtlety. Yeah. Certainly not in this film. Um, and neither does Clive and the other filmmakers, I suppose. Uh, but we open on that scene uh, after the purchase of the obelisk by JP of um, Joanne doing like a fake report into the camera for her pal doc who later becomes a cenobite um about how fed up she is with how ridiculous the news is and she's giving a sarcastic um comment uh while off camera uh and for the rest of the film it's pretty much rather than her trying to uh put forth her own agency or deal with her own demons she's just kind of being constantly underestimated by every character in the film as she continues to investigate and uh learn and uh, ultimately defeat pinhead mm -hmm. and that was different uh for me i'm not too familiar with horror generally especially not the 90s uh but compared to the other two uh there was a, she never felt like she was totally helpless even when she was tricked in her Vietnam dream, uh, Freddy Krueger style by Mr. Pinhead towards the end of the film. So just seeing like the, the, the little bits, like the domesticity moment, we cut to um, Joey getting up in the morning and seeing that Terry's cooking breakfast. That seems like such an odd and sweet little thing to put in a film about the, uh, this fucking monster 
in this series mm-hmm. um, to have someone who presumably goes to a nightclub and is in an abusive relationship to choose to get up early and make breakfast for someone. And there's lots of little neat moments like that for the leads that I felt was very fleshed out. Weirdly enough, I liked that JP slash Danny Zuko is promised power by Pinhead after he absorbs the first uh, woman that JP brings back there. But it's never very clear, and JP doesn't really feel like his arm is being twisted by Pinhead. He's just kind of already an asshole, and we don't need to go through any sort of arc or sympathy for him to see his downfall. He just kind of is already doing the same thing Pinhead is doing, and continues to do so from uh, day one. So, uh, big, big, big A+, plus, big ups to the characterization. That was one of my favorite uh, things to be surprised by in this. And I'm sure if I went back and watched it, I would think it's a little hammy or maybe not enough. But for what I was expecting, based off of my uh, previous experience with the evil mattress <laughs> and uh, dominoes <laughs> from Hellraiser 2, That's right. this was very welcomed. Yeah. One thing, I, I like that you mentioned the sarcasm um, that was present in the main character and kind of in the piece itself. Like, I felt like Aaron talked about this a little bit. The first two Hellraisers felt sincere and how much they committed to the aesthetic and the vibe and the characters. This one felt like it was afraid to. Like, there were moments when they would, like, play with it, but then they back off going, like, no, that's, that's, not, that's not what we want to do. We want to be cool. We want to be like Freddy Krueger. <laughs> um, and then it felt like horror didn't really get another voice that was really strong until Scream when that voice was like pure sarcasm. It's like, okay, if this is where horror movies are, let's just speak to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I I want to mention uh, Terry also gets turned into a Cenobite, so it's not a happy love story. It makes me very sad. It's a tragedy. And then... It di- I felt sad mm-hmm. as well. I screamed no in Yeah, we, we were all like, no! And I... The... The whole thing with that, and then JP also gets turned into one. He has, like, a jackhammer shoved through his head, because he's a... That is constantly thrusting. Because that's a thing. And then, so, when she has to, like, basically take them down, and uh, that makes me sad, mainly just because she has to put Terry in the box, and, you know, she didn't want to do that. (laughs) Um... But then, like, after after she defeats Pinhead or whatever and and buries the box in some cement, the building that gets put up in the cement where the cement was has all kinds of box imagery in it. And I'm like, what? <laughs> yeah. I'm not sure it makes any sense, but uh, it's kind of just like whoever put that thing there it's now uh cinnabite incorporated feel bad Cinnabite ink um yeah <laughs> yeah so this was cbi dude i mean like i guess it is worth noting like clive barker he produced this film but he was not a writer or a director so i wonder if that's part of the reason for the discrepancy a little bit it's probably yeah um the, this came out just, like, two years after Nightbreed, which was another Clive Barker film, which I absolutely love and actually really want to talk about on this podcast one day. Yeah, um, Nightbreed was great. Because I feel like that... Sign sign me up for that Yes, viewing. it's Hell so yeah. good. I feel like that movie continues a lot of the themes of Hellraiser. Yes! Thank you, everybody. 
Will we will we continue them? Will we go and see the Hellraisers from I here mean, on I mean, I feel like yes. we have to now. It's been yeah. If we go far enough, we'll get to the one that was actually shot in yeah. Oklahoma. There was one in Oklahoma. Yeah, I know some people who worked yeah. on it. Wait, is oh, it Hellraiser? Re- is it Hellraiser Revelation? The one that was shot in eleven days? <laughs> no, it was Hellraiser. <laughs> oh, Judgment. thank God. Okay. Oh my God. There's so many Hellraisers. I have no idea how many Hellraisers there are. That's the other thing. Yeah, me neither. Do you want to know? No, I have the like answer. I don't want to know. I want to keep probably. going on this journey. Oh, God forbid our show I... right. go on for twelve years. I love this show, but but I... <laughs> that's so long for a podcast. Um, yeah, I know the. Uh, I know. <laughs> All right, Hannah. Well, we're gonna we're gonna have. A fun journey getting through the yeah. rest of these. So thank you all for joining for joining together for this annual tradition. Um, for our little feast on the blood of mortals. Thank you so much. <laughs> um, is there anything that anyone here would like to plug or promote? Um beyond the podcast? Uh, I'm I'm not I'm not sure. You, you folks as both podcasters and also uh, the two of you as uh, artists individually. If you're still selling any sort of uh, prints or cartoons or whatnot, I pray to God that folks are uh, willing and able to um, uh, request things from you guys. And uh, as for Aaron, I I hope they finally catch him. <laughs> I don't know. He's a slippery one. He is. Private investigator, FBI, dog catcher, whatever it be. I hope he's caught. I think I'll, uh, I think I'll, uh, I think I'll play the politician and equivocate my way out of this conversation. Okay, fair. Um, as always, you can find Netflix and Kill on Twitter at Netflix underscore in underscore kill. We also have a Patreon, so feel free to go support us there if you like what we're doing. We'll have some bonus episodes out real soon. And, um, I think that's it. I'm trying to think of, like, a snappy quote to wrap this up, but I feel like nothing I can say can compare. That's a wrap. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) 